The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. I'm saying that because Bonnie wrote it and said good sensory morning. If you're watching as we put up the placards, thanks to Trayvon, uh, we know that we're going to be talking about sensory stuff today. So that's very exciting. Uh, Parker, good afternoon. How are you? I'm thrilled to see that you're here with us this morning. So uh, I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live from house still a year later. That's right. Uh, if for those of you keeping track, thrilled to be here this morning. We're going to be live for the next hour talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. And we hope that you'll participate in that conversation because the whole point of this show is that we want to be interactive with you. Our mission here is to provide information and inspiration. For those of you who have the ability to watch the live show, we're live right now on YouTube, Twitter, Maybe Periscope. I don't know. Maybe still today. Yes. Sam says, good morning. We're live on Periscope still. And we're on Twitter. So YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, Twitter, big four. And oh, Periscope until the 31st. Okay. And then Sam, we got to find you another way. But uh, we're live on all those places. Plus we're live a bunch more places. So Sam, keep, keep in mind as you're watching some of these other places like Vaughn Live and Africa uh, I got to close this so that I can see. Traven's putting them on the screen, though, for those of you who are watching the show right now, uh, places that you can watch the show live or recorded. Because we do podcast the show to all any place where you download your po podcasts, we are available there as a free download. So we love being available in all those different places for you. If you're watching live again, remember best places to you know, very quickly be having conversations with us. Uh, and again, good morning, Sam. Uh, we love we love to hear from you. If you write in on any of those big four uh, platforms, then we're able to see it in real time. Good morning to Anna. Good morning to Moon Sophrosis. I don't know if I got that right, but I'm so thrilled that you're here. And we're we're happy to be with you guys live. You can also, if you are watching us on a different platform or if you're watching us recorded because you saw the podcast, best thing to do is to either write in our, inner, it's not interactive ch our chat, but there's a chat on our homepage, autism-live.com. You can write comments in there. We usually cover those questions on Wednesdays with Dr. Doreen Grant. So Sam, it says you're on uh, Periscope, but you're on Twitter. Good. I'm glad that you're there. You won't have to move. That's perfect. Um, but in any case, so you can write in questions into our, it's called the chat, but it's not interactive. I can't write back to you. Maybe someday we'll have that. Um, but I can answer your questions and better yet have experts answer your questions 
on the live show when you write in on that chat. The other thing you can do is write directly to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. So that's S as in Sam, dot Penrod, P as in Peter, E as in Egg, N as in Nancy, R as in Robot, O as in Oscar, D as in Dog, S.Penrod at autism-live, and that's live with a V as in Victor, dot com. And we love to hear from you. So uh, all of that being said, we also like to remind you that we have lots of experts who come on the show. I'm not one of them. And I just don't want you to get confused uh, <laughs> because of how I have a very strident voice, which I've been told makes me sound like I, I'm very confident. This is not the case, but uh, was the case that I have a very strident voice. It's not the case that I'm very confident, uh, but I, uh, it's my voice, you know? So don't confuse me with an expert. I am someone who's been covering autism from a journalistic standpoint for more than a decade. I am the mother of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at two and a half. Those are my credentials. There are no other credentials. I'm not an expert in autism. I love to say that I have an informed opinion, but that, but let's like keep a sense of humor about that. Right. And happy to answer questions with my informed opinion, but that is nothing like asking an expert. So we do have lots of experts that are here. I just like to remind you, I'm not one of them. You know what I am? I'm the person who wants to be in your corner. I'm the person who, I know if you're watching this show that you're part of the autism community. Uh, you know, our autism community and our audience starts with individuals who are, are themselves on the autism spectrum. I always refer to them as the beating heart of our community. There are why. They're the important central parts. We need to be listening to them. We need to hear their voices. We need to hear their opinions, right? Have them tell their stories. But I also include in our autism community absolutely everyone who loves individuals in this beating core. If you love someone on the autism spectrum, then you I, I welcome you here to a community of people who have decided that easy will no longer suffice, right? That's what it used to say on the entrance to card. I love that. Welcome to a community of people who have decided that easy will no longer suffice, right? We aren't taking the easy path, but we're going to take the compassionate, empathetic uh, action path where we get stuff done and we're supportive and listening and having empathy. That's the path that I want to be on. I want to help you to get to what's important to you. And it's not one size fits all. Everybody comes into this community in a different place, with a different background, with different strengths, with different challenges. And we welcome all of you. Your feelings and your stories are welcome. Uh, we don't all have to agree. That is not an essential part of being in this community. This is not a one size fits all, right? But um, I do think that we agree on a lot of different things, which is that people on the autism spectrum deserve all the dignity and all the rights of people who are not on the spectrum, right? But they also deserve supports to be able to do the things that are important for them. Notice that I say important for them, um, not what's important to me, not what's important to, you know, the person walking down the sidewalk who, you know, says, I would like it if you were quiet when you walk down the sidewalk. Well, wonderful. Get used to feeling that way, that your feelings, like have your feelings that that's what you want, but that isn't necessarily how the world's going to go. Boy, I'm a little wound up today. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, I've been talking 
talking a lot with folks about perspective taking and a little bit later on, I'm hoping, because we're going to talk about sensory and I watched a movie over the weekend and oi, 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 I'm processing. Uh, I watched The Sound of Metal. Have you guys seen this movie yet? I think it's an important movie. I would like more people to talk with about it. I think it's an important movie to watch. And we're going to talk about why um, and, you know, what that has to do with what we're talking about today, because for me, it has a lot to do with it. So in any case, we, we welcome all of you. That was what we started with. And we don't all agree. Hi, Huma from Pakistan. So thrilled that you're here. And uh, we want you to be a part of the conversation. Your viewpoint, wherever you are in this massive circle, you know, uh, of people in what I call the larger autism community, because that includes all the people who love individuals on the spectrum, wherever, wherever your point of light is on this sphere of people, welcome, because we need you. We need you and we need you to be a part of the conversation and to speak up and say what you need and what you see and what's happening. Uh, thank you so much, Huma, who says it's a very important topic. All right. Uh, why don't we get started then with something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani, are those experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? Why should we care? Why can't we use other words? What's going on? Uh, we First, we give you the actual definition whenever possible. I make fun of it. And then, and sometimes that's really all that it's worth. And then we give you uh, a working definition, I like to call it. Uh, it is something that makes the experts usually break out into hives, but that's just a benefit. And, and they always say to me, no, no, it doesn't make us break out into hives, usually. Sometimes it does. Um, but then I try to put it into some sort of context so that we all, myself included, can get more comfortable with these terms. Because here's what I know about jargon. That jargon, when you understand it, becomes shorthand for everybody and you get more done. But if you don't understand it, it's, it's like a cavern and it's like the people over here who understand it know all this information and the people on the other side are stranded. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be stranded. Uh, not when it comes to this stuff. So this is the whole reason why we do this, but we try to do it in just enough so that nobody gets overwhelmed myself included. Okay. So uh, I know you guys are here because you want to hear today's jargon term. Let's take a look. Uh, Traven teased it to you guys earlier. Okay. So, and it says on the slide, sensory behavior, and that is what we're talking about, but we've been talking about, I want to get a little bit more specific here. We've been talking about things that are maintained by something. So today we're going to be talking about sensory maintained behavior. Just wasn't going to fit on the slide, right? But that's really what we're talking about because we've already identified that there are four main reasons why any of us on the spectrum, not on the spectrum, engage in challenging behaviors. And when I say challenging behaviors, I mean behaviors that we are doing because they're functional to us, but they aren't functional for our ultimate goals. Now, notice the way that I phrase that because it's really important to me that we talk about it from this sort of a perspective. It really has to be driven by what the individual wants to accomplish in their life. But that's a little bit hazy because sometimes when we're talking to a two-year-old, right, we're going to encourage a, a, a two-year-old to throw a tantrum. But we encourage the two-year-old to communicate what their needs are so that they don't have to throw the tantrum. 
Now, if we could sit down and negotiate this with a two-year-old, and two-year-old might say to us, yeah, but this is working for me, so I'm just going to do this. And we might say to the two-year-old, yeah, but this isn't going to work for you long-term. You're cute right now, and you're a cute two-year-old, so they're gonna, we're going to let you get away with tantrums, but when you're 22, this tantrum is going to send you to jail. Two-year-old has no concept of that, right? So we as the adults in the room have to teach the two-year-old you know, this is the way you get your needs met. It's not by throwing the tantrum, right? But I want to make sure that we're always coming back because it's very easy to get lost, to go up a tree with this. It's very easy to get lost. And we always want to keep coming back to it. it has to be for the greater good for the individual. All right. So when we talk about sensory behavior, let's take a look at our uh, actual definition. Again, remember, we're talking about sensory maintained behavior. It's behavior that, uh, well, let's take a look what the, it says. The process by which one alerts another to a stimulus via nonverbal means such as gazing or pointing, which that is not the right definition. <laughs> so Traven, get that off the screen because uh, that is for tacting. That is the definition for tacting, has nothing to do with uh, sensory behavior. So sensory maintained behavior is behavior that we are doing. Uh, this really comes under the heading for those of you who are studying this. There's another term that we use called atom, automatic uh, reinforcement. So it's automatic, uh, that there's something, there, the paycheck is something on the inside which how it feels, which is how we get to sensory maintain. So a lot of times, um, so that's our, our actual definition is that it is, it's automatically reinforcing, that the reinforcer is on the inside. And in some areas of the world, behaviorists call it an inside job, uh, that that's what it is. And what we see a lot of time, I'm going to go right to our working definition. What, this is what a lot of us refer to incorrectly as stimming. So stimming, I remember the first time I asked somebody, they were like, oh, I was like, why is he doing that? Talking about my son, why does he do that? And it was like in hushed tones, like, you know, we should be embarrassed. Why is he doing that? And the person said to me, oh, it's just a stim. And I said, it's a, it's a what? It's a, it's a, what is that word you just, a stim? I said, how do you spell that? Cause I'm like, you know, writing down in my phone, taking a note so I can look it up later on. And, and she was like, oh, S-T-I-M. Try Googling STEM. I don't know, maybe there's stuff now, but 20 years ago, 16 years ago, <laughs> you know, people were like, oh, you're spelling STEM wrong. No. Um, and it was, and then I had to go back and go, so I couldn't find STEM. What, what is that? Is it short? Oh, it's, it's short for stimming. Okay, I Google that. No, I can't find it. Then somebody said to me, oh, it's for self-stimulatory behavior. And I, and I remember thinking, yeah, I don't think that that's what he's doing because I don't, I think he's doing it to calm himself down, not to stimulate himself. Well, this is where we get into, it's often incorrect when we call something a stim because usually the things that we think of as stims are because it's automatically reinforcing. It is personally reinforcing to me to do it. There's something sensory input about it that's making me happy or that is removing something else that is a relief to me. It's, I'm liking it, I'm getting a paycheck. It's automatic. Nobody had to do it, I can do it by myself and I get this paycheck for it. Sometimes 
the behavior is pleasing to me because it helps me to calm down. Other times it helps me to, you know, to, to be able to communicate other, you know, but it has like, I can concentrate if I'm able to do this. We talk all the time on the show about the fact that, you know, go see, uh, you know, an advertising executive who sits there while he's thinking about, okay, so we could do this shot or we could, you know what we should do, but this craziness with the pen helps that executive to focus. Or, you know, uh, I used to love Rosie O'Donnell uh, on her talk show. She always had a couche, one of those couches uh, in her hand and, and because she was nervous and she needed, it helped her to be able to be centered to do her interviews and kept that part of her brain busy. That is automatic reinforcement. Okay, that is that sensory thing that is giving us input in one direction that's helping us to do other things. So here's the thing. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Why is that challenging behavior? It isn't necessarily. And this is the part that I, you know, I'm always happy to talk about whether it's talking about it with a parent a person on the spectrum, a teacher, a therapist, whatever, right? We all should know by now, the data is in, the research has been done, all behavior has a purpose. And we know that there is a, an antecedent, like there's a moment before the behavior happens, there's the behavior, and then there's the consequence, the A, B, C of behavior, right? They call it the three-term contingency. And so we know that these self-stimulatory automatic reinforcing behaviors have a consequence. And the consequence is that it does something for me on the inside, which you can't see. That doesn't mean it's not important. So why would we ever work on these behaviors? And this is the real crux for me. Is this behavior getting in the way of something that is ultimately more important to the individual long-term? That's a big question. You got to stop and think about it for a second. So for the kiddo who does this, right? The hand flapping. Um, And listen, I remember my son hand flapped and I was like, what is that? And it scared me because I was ignorant. And I was, I didn't understand it. And, you know, I wanted to know more and I couldn't ask my son, why are you doing this? Right? So I went and I started asking other people and I found lots of answers. And, and so the fact that I, I couldn't absolutely for sure, a hundred percent know, because my son wasn't able to tell me at that point, but I heard from one person who said, oh, when I do this, I see colors. And if I'm bored and I got nothing else to do, I want to see colors. I heard other people say, I don't, there's something about this movement that's calming to me. And I was at a point where I was feeling a fair amount of anxiety myself because I had a child who wasn't speaking and would rather sit and do this all day than learn his ABCs, which let's be honest, was stressing me out. So I tried it and I went, oh yeah, this does kind of calm me down. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, like, and there's people who do this there's people who do this. There's people who do this. Try it. I'm not saying that it's the answer to everybody's problem, but for some people, this has a paycheck and, and the paychecks can be different. 
Great. If we find that something helps us, shouldn't we do that all the time? The problem is, um, yes. So the the paycheck is uh, the paycheck is on the inside is our our working definition here. Uh, <laughs> there we go. So uh, Trayvon was just asking. So uh, the question is, is the behavior preventing something else? So I'm going to use the example of Temple Grandin. When Temple Grandin was younger, she liked to spin the metal plate on the end of her bed. And for her, it was very reinforcing. And I've asked her about this and said, what? Like, if you said to me, I'm going to pay you a million dollars, but you got to sit there and turn this thing on the bed for five hours, like I would have a hard time because I don't know that I could do it. I'm not, I get bored very easily. But she would have done it 10 hours a day, every day, if she could have. And I've asked her, why? What was it about that? And she said, oh, because the light, the way it would hit the metal feature. And she said, I could turn it slower and the light would, would do a different thing. Or if you do it faster, um, that, you know, it was just fascinating to her. She just was happy to do it hours on end. And her mother said, I see in Temple a person who has a lot to give this world. Um, she needs some downtime. She needs some time for her brain to rest because she's got all these other things going on. But we can't just let her go be in rest mode all the time. So she said to Temple, you can do that an hour a day. You can have an hour break a day. You can go up and do that. But the rest of the time, you got to be down in the, the barn and you got to muck the stalls and you got to do your homework and you got to do your reading and you got to do your drawing. Um, and that was the rule. Now for Temple, that was perfect because Temple liked boundaries. And if she knew, she trusted her mom and she knew I'm going to get it for an hour a day so that she could go and do that. And as an adult now, Temple still has sensory seeking behavior because everyone does. Everyone does, right? But she's able to moderate it for herself so that when she's got to work, she goes to work. And when it's her downtime, she uses her downtime to give herself whatever paycheck she needs just like you do. And this is the thing. Nobody took it away from her. But in her circumstance, it was, we're going to limit when and where and how you can do this. This is kind of true of a lot of different things. For a lot of our young boys, at a certain point, their hands are going to go into their pants. I'm just, we're going to go there for a minute here. Their hands are going to go into their pants and they're going to find their equipment. And their equipment is on the outside. So boys tend to find it faster, easier than girls find their equipment, Right. And it's their equipment. And, you know, you can have your personal beliefs about what's allowed and what isn't allowed, but the truth of the matter is it's their equipment, right? And, you know, from my point of view as a parent, I'm like, that is your equipment to do with, you know, as long as you're not hurting yourself, that's your equipment to do with what you will. However, there are places and times. You do not stick your hand down your pants when you're in public. That is not acceptable. But if you're in your bedroom or in your bathroom, you know, then, right? Because there are rules attached to these things. And how great is it that a lot of our kids are very rule-oriented? 
But I want to say that for these sensory seeking behaviors, uh, we need to get really mindful about what is the paycheck? When is it appropriate? When is it causing someone to not do something else? Because this is great, but if I'm trying to teach you how to write your name, this has to be able to be put on hold for a period of time. And if somebody is doing this compulsively, then we are not going to be able to teach writing. And that's a consideration. And we can't just say, stop this, right? We have to give this paycheck another way. And, and if we figure out what the paycheck is, we can, and we can just limit it or we can give it in a different way. We see people who rock, right? I talked about this the other day. Um, and that for some people, this is keeping their vestibular system awake so that they can stay focused. For other people, it's a way to uh, moderate what's happening and give stimulus so that they can reduce stress, right? So it might be keeping one person focused. For another person, it might be reducing stress. All different kinds of things. Uh, we're not ever trying to take away the behavior. We can't. We, we did behavior intervention plan a couple of weeks ago. Be, good behavior intervention plan says, what is the function of the behavior? How can we give this to someone in a meaningful way that's meaningful to them so that they can do the things that they want to do? Uh, okay. Um, same thing with vocal stims. Yes, uh, Parker, people who make uh, vocal stims, it feels good. We know that there's the vagus nerve that goes down um, your neck and that if you're experiencing anxiety, for instance, and you hum, for some people that stimulates the vagus nerve and helps mo uh, moderate anxiety. Um, so sometimes when people are doing vocal stims, it could be as simple as that, but it could be a whole bunch of other things too. We can't, we have to be very careful not to assume that we know what the function of the behavior is. Uh, I'm looking at some of the comments that you guys have written in. If a child shows hypersensitivity in one area and another area shows hyposensitivity, then what do you suggest? Um, I think it's really important to, I'm, I can't even believe I'm going to use this phrase, but as they say in the world, take data. Like it's important to get to know what's going on and it's hard when it's sensory but you got to be a detective and you got to start looking at it and going, okay, so uh, I just talked about this the other day on the show that for, uh, for me, if you, if I move my head fast, I'm going to get dizzy. Like I am just a dizzy person. Whereas for my son, you can spin him and it wakes something up in his brain. He feels better and he could talk better when he was little. I think it's even true now. It just like helps focus his brain up. Uh, whereas for me, it's a sure way of making me puke and not be productive, right? So we can't have any assumptions about anything. But then on the flip side, you know, there are things that I have a sensory reaction to sound-wise. I'm very sensitive sound-wise. And my son tends not to be, except for certain sounds. I didn't know it until he was older. I mean, like 15 that the sound of the, the creaky egg carton thing, that's sort of that, that plasticky sort of, oh man, that's torture for him. And I didn't know, I didn't know. And when I think of all the times when he was little that he probably flipped out, that I was like, why is he flipping out now? And it was because of the egg carton. 
Um, so I think it's important to know, just like you would be about any person you loved in your life. If any person in, that you loved in your life walked up to you and said, oh my gosh, you know, that noise is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Could you just not do that when I'm around? You would go, oh my gosh, of course, I'm going to try really hard not to do that. I know I have two friends that if I'm on the phone with them, and if I crinkle a bag, it is the end of the world for them. So when I'm on the phone with them, I try not to crinkle a bag. It's just that simple, right? Um, but, you know, I think when it's our kiddos, we have to be even that much more aware of it. And we can work on something if it's really a problem to systematically desensitize by taking the noise, recording it. We've done this a lot with kids that have that multi-purpose room when they're in school. And it's, I know schools, the new design for schools was let's have this room that only gets used once a day be available for other things. So they take gymnasiums and turn them into, into the cafeteria. It's great, except if you have sensory issues, right? The sound bounces and you get all, all the kids in the school in there and I can't handle it. To this day, I can't handle it. So how do we have a third grader who's supposed to go in and spend all these times? We can either have them eat lunch someplace else or we can have we can go in, record the sounds of the lunchroom. I wish somebody had done this for me when I was little. Go in, record the sounds of the lunchroom and then we go home and we play the tape, but we play it at 0.5 and see if the child even notices it. It should be so low when we start that they don't even notice it. And then over time, we gradually notch by notch, tune it up so that it's at the noise level that it is at school. But anytime the child has a reaction, we know we move too fast. We go back to the last place where they weren't having a reaction to it and we're building their sensitivity to it. So, you know, we're, we're very mindful. Uh, so, so would frequent texting be one too? I think that, uh, frequent texting, um, it's interesting. It, I don't know that it has a sensory component to it, but I think it could absolutely be considered something that's automatically reinforcing if it is just for, like, if you, uh, if somebody is just texting and not receiving anything back, and they would text to no one ever, then we would say it's automatically reinforcing. But if they're texting because they want that input back, then that's a conversation and that's communication. And that's them saying, I want more of that. But like everything, there can be things that are too much. Um, that anything, you know, you can say, oh, drink more water. Drinking water is a really good thing, but we've had people who drank too much water right? So um, all things in moderation. Um, and, you know, texting is not a problem that I have, but compulsively looking at my phone. Yeah, I would say that that's a problem, uh, but not such a problem that I'm willing to work on it yet, which I think is a good litmus test for a lot of things. Okay. So somebody says, I still hand flap and I'm almost 34 years old. I have no shame about it. It calms me down. It helps me refocus. And when I was studying for college tests, it helped me. And you know what I want to say to you? Amen. Um, and as long as, it, as long as it's not hurting you or preventing you from doing things that you want to do, then, then it isn't a challenging behavior. And it's not something that needs to be worked on. 
I think what you're going to find is that there are going to be people in your life occasionally who are going to go, what's that? That's odd. That's weird. That's whatever. And what I would love for us to start doing as a community is start saying, oh, I'm sorry. What is it about that that's, that's upsetting to you? Would you like to work on that and help them to work on their feelings of that? Right? That's where I want to be. Um, okay. How can when a child uh, stares into space uh, and turns his eyes to one side for visual seeking behavior? Okay. So a couple of things there, and I'm so glad that you brought that up. Uh, he turns his eyes to one side for visual seeking behavior. When we're talking about staring into space, that's one thing. And I don't want to scare you, but I do. It's really good idea for all of our kiddos at some point before, if possible, before they are teenagers to get a baseline EKG to rule out small subclinical seizures. When we see kids staring into space and being like gone for a period of time, we want to make sure they're not having an absence seizure. And they probably aren't, but in any case, it's a good idea to get a baseline while they're young because when they're teenagers, uh, we want to make sure if if someone has a, uh, a seizure when they're a teenager, and I have a friend who's just going through this right now, uh, where her child has had two seizures in the last couple of weeks out of nowhere, never had them before. And the first thing that they're going to ask you in treating is, do you have any early EKG so that we, ECG, the one where they do the brain scan, whatever one that is. Uh, I can't remember what the letters are for that, but uh, you want to make sure if possible, if you can, to get a scan to make sure that there's none of that. But then it is very common for our kids to look, I can't even do it, look out of their corner, way corner, extreme corner of their eyes. So they'll pick something up. Like let's say that they're gonna look at the water bottle and you and I pick it up and I'm old, so I gotta hold it a certain distance away so that I can read the label. Whereas one of our kids might pick it up and look at the bottle this way. So that's an entirely different thing. Um, and that could be something that's automatic reinforcing but it could be a muscular eye issue. And I, so not only would I like you to like consider seeing a neurologist and make sure that you're not having absence seizures, but if your child is old enough, call a really good developmental ophthalmologist and say, I'd like to bring my child in and have a full evaluation. I know that I know what I'm asking and it's a lot, but um, if what I discovered with my child um, was that, because he used to do this all the time. And let me just also say too, that what people encouraged us to take was vitamin A and it made it worse. Just putting it out there. Um, for some kids, vitamin A helps, but for my kid, it made it worse. So he would pick things up and look in this direction. We took him to the developmental ophthalmologist and what we just, because he was having problems in other areas. He couldn't ride a bike. And there were other things that he was having a tough time with. And what the the person, he had these two uh, sticks that had uh, a silver ball and a uh, gold ball on the end. And he asked my son just to track them. So your child has to be old enough that they can understand and follow something. Uh, and they could put a character on it if that, if your child is young enough to, to try to get them to track it. And he said to me, watch mom. And I watched as my son, when, when his eyes got into the middle, they would vibrate because he couldn't 
focus his eyes in the middle. The only place he could focus was to the extreme side because the muscles around his eyes couldn't take in the data because it couldn't focus. And when he tried, they would literally vibrate back and forth. And so we had um, musculature exercises for him to do. There was a machine called the eye port. They weren't making them for a lot of years, but they're making them again now. And it was this thing where you had to put on glasses and these lights, it looked like a Star Wars spaceship and lights would light up and he would have these glasses that looked like he was in a 3D movie. And he was just supposed to look where the light was and it would make him look back and forth. And then he had to turn the glasses the other way and do the other eye and it strengthened his eye muscles and he can look straight ahead now. And he stopped doing this because now that isn't the case for everybody, but I think it's, it's so important that we rule out medical things uh, there's things happen, behaviors happen for a reason, but sometimes it's medical. That's what I want to say about that. So I would look into that. I will also tell you that in the skills program, they have visual motor um, lessons that are also helpful for this. But I do think it's worthwhile if you can go and have uh, a, a doctor, a developmental ophthalmologist look at your child's eye tracking to make sure that that's on on. Point. Because there will be other problems with coordination, there will be other problems with writing, there will be other problems with reading if they cannot focus their eyes when they're in the middle section. Um, is it common for those of us on the higher end of the spectrum to have echolalia? I think I spelled it wrong. I think uh, I think you're missing an H is all. Uh, I do repeat often, especially right after a meltdown. Uh, and I don't know, Michael, if it's more common. Uh, I think that I think that echolalia is very common on the spectrum. I just don't know if it's more common for folks that have more skills. Um, uh, on, I, I don't know, uh, to be honest with you, but I think that it's very common. And I think that part of it is we all talk to ourselves all the time. We do. And if we were all to just sort of turn up the volume on what we are constantly saying to each other, I think the world would be a very interesting place, right? Um, because sometimes we, you know, folks who aren't on the spectrum, we're saying something internally. We have that whole inner dialogue going on and uh, it's like a tape that plays, right? Does that sound familiar? And uh, I was saying the other day that when I'm in a hurry and I got to do something and I'm trying to get myself revved, uh, that I will say what a waiter that I used to work with who had this wonderful thick accent and he would say, go, Robbie, go, go, Robbie, go. And I say that my name isn't Robbie, but because it has meaning to me, I still, as a 58-year-old woman, when I'm trying to get something done, and I got to stay focused. I, that's what's going on in my head. And sometimes I say it out loud. I'll say, go, go, go. And my son here, he's like, who are you talking to? Who's Robbie? Right? So I don't, I don't think that it's uncommon for people to have other phrases that they say or to repeat things over again. I think there's something soothing or stimulus, or I, I think it's a sensory thing. But for many of us that are not on the spectrum, we learned at a very early age to keep that on the inside. 
And I think that for folks on the spectrum, it isn't as reinforcing unless it's said. Um, and that would be a very interesting thing to, to study, to look at. But I do think it's, it's very normal behavior. Um, and I know for my son, what they did was they taught him over a period of time how to say it on the inside. And when that was what, like, they tried all different kinds of things because he had this vocal stim that he would do. And it was driving the other kids in the classroom crazy. And this is why I bring this up having to do with what we were talking about before is that if it's not preventing the child, the child or the teenager or the adult from doing something that they want to do, it's not hurting them or somebody else, we leave it alone. Right. But it was about to make my son who was capable of sitting in a classroom, a mainstream classroom and doing the work. It was about to get him placed in a different classroom because his STEM was preventing the other kids from being able to concentrate. And I could fight that till the cows came home or we could see if we could work on it for my son. And it took us a while, but eventually a therapist, the great Peter Farrig said to my son, I, and, and this was the way he got it. He said, I'm going to make a noise. And Peter did. He said, I'm going to make a noise. I'm going to say, huh. And he said, and now I'm not going to make the noise, but I'm going to think in my head the same noise. And he said, you're not going to be able to hear it. And so he said, huh. And he said, now I'm going to think it. And he said to my son, did you hear it? And, and Jem said, no. And he said, but in my head, I heard it. He said, now you try it. I want you to say a noise. And my son said the noise and he said, now I don't want you to say it in your lip. I want you to say it in your head so that I can't hear it. Now, how many lessons came before that about perspective taking and what you can see and what you can think and what you can hear? Lots of them. But on that day, my son made the noise on the inside and Peter said, I couldn't hear it. Did you make it on the inside? And my son said, yeah. And, and then Peter said to him, you can make noises on, on the inside all the time and no one will care. And my son said, really? And that was it. Um, it was a very exciting day. Uh, okay. Uh, so somebody else says, my son will slap his face, not hard. Every time he hears happy birthday, not sure if it's a birth, uh, it's happy birthday or the tone sound of happy birthday. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. Um, and that's something, I hope you're working with an ABA team. And that's something that I would have your supervisor look at to figure out what is the function of the behavior. Uh, if it's, is it, does, does it happen for instance, and this is, we have to be careful with this. This is why I say you need to have an expert because he could hurt himself slapping himself in the face. But I'm wondering, does he do this no matter like if there's two people in the room or if there's 22 people in the room or if it's on TV and he doesn't even know the person, but we would not put him through these circumstances to see if he did it because he would be hurting himself in the meantime. So this is why I recommend an expert, but it would be interesting to know, is it, I know people who get very emotional when happy birthday is sung to somebody. They just get very emotional. Um, and I don't know that we could put a, this is where the sensory is very hard because it's like, how do you put your finger on what exactly is that? Um, but if we find out that, for instance, it makes him feel emotional, then we would find another way for him to deal with the emotion other than slapping himself in the face, right? Because that's, that's the thing we don't want him to hurt himself. Uh, Cameron says, I'm working with a child who is hyperlexic 
And whenever he uh, sees uh, letters or numbers, he stims a lot. And I'm wondering, Cameron, is it that uh, like he sees a number and he is stimming because it's like, I recognize that. I recognize that. That makes sense to me. I know what that is. Is it an excitement stim? Um, because one of the things I've seen work and everybody's different, right? Um, but if we put language to what he's feeling in that moment, uh, what happens then? I've seen this work with people who are, you know, it's clear that they're feeling an emotion. Um, and, and when somebody is there with them saying, oh, does that, is that exciting? Is that, that's your favorite letter? Yes, that's, you're happy right now. Uh, right. So we start by identifying it for them. And, and then later, after we've languaged it many times, saying to them, what are you feeling right now? Are you feeling excited? Um, and, and we can even prompt them to say, yes, I'm feeling excited. Uh, right. So the, the, we're helping them to put their feelings because this is, uh, but there's nothing wrong with, uh, I have, I, a therapist came to me a couple of years ago and said, okay, here's my question. My boyfriend hand flaps when he gets excited. And, and she was like, and I'm working now with kids. And she was like, should I, should I work on that with him? And I was like, is it a problem? <laughs> and she was like, what do you mean? And I said, is he hurting himself or you in the process of hand flapping when he's excited? And she was like, well, no. And I was like, then like, just be happy for him. You now know when your boyfriend is happy. Um, like, isn't that a great thing? Like, you know, my husband is very communicative, but there are times when I don't know until afterwards. And he says, oh my gosh, that made me so happy. And I go, oh, it did. I'm so glad, right? Um, because I didn't see the outward manifestation of we see a smile, right? But if uh, I, you know, I know that when my son is like really into something, he'll say, oh, certainly. And I, that, man, I love to hear that. Oh, certainly. Cause I know, oh, you know, that's a thing. Um, and, and this therapist, she, she was like, oh, he does this thing. And she said, well, I guess, you know, I guess sometimes people are going to think it's weird. And I was like, do you care? And she was like, no. And I said, well, then what's the problem? Like, aren't you lucky? You know, when your boyfriend's really happy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, but we can, if it's getting in the way, we can find a way for them to language it, uh, or to sign it. Right. But it's a manifestation of a feeling. Uh, and somebody else said, uh, I do that too, but it's because I'm approaching, uh, my mid thirties, the, I'm not sure which thing you were replying to Michael. Uh, okay. Uh, so does that live long and stim on? We all do. We all do. But I will say this, that I don't think a stim is a reason to, uh, prevent progress for an individual. And that is what sometimes happens for kids on the spectrum that, you know, I, I have seen parents who say, well, you know, um, he likes to do this and he wants to do it all day. So we're not going to interrupt it ever. And I go, okay, I, man, you're a parent, you get to decide. And when he's 18, he'll decide if this is what he wants to do his whole life. 
But I have been there and seen that and been there with the 18 year old who says, why don't I have a life? All, you know, I don't have friends. I don't have the, you know, I don't have the ability to ask for what I want. I, you know, like, and they're, and it's not just this anymore. Now they're hitting themselves. Now they're unhappy. Um, so I just feel like as a parent, our job is to help our kids to be able to do the things that are important to them. And every single parent deals with, it's a fine line, right? You know, so your kid, your neurotypical kid signed up for hockey and they went and they go and they do hockey and they don't like it. At what point do you say enough? You don't like hockey, you don't have to do it. And at what point do you say, no, you said you were going to do hockey, so you got to keep with the commitment. It's going to be different for everybody. And it's going to be different for every kid and for every family. And I don't know what the absolute 100% right answer is for anyone, let alone everyone, right? But there's a decision to be made. And I do think that that it, this this goes both ways. I have seen parents who are like, you know, we have to get rid of that hand flapping. Um, because it looks odd and it's got to go, right? But I've also seen parents who will fight to have their child be able to do this 10 hours a day. And I don't think that that's really what's in the best interest of that child. I think we want them to be able to do what they need sensory-wise, but we want them to learn. And if this prevents learning, I think we need to give the paycheck of what this is but find something that doesn't prevent the learning. I hope that makes sense. Uh, <clears throat> good morning to our Cameron's journey. Uh, Michael says, texting for me is better than communication because of my communication issues. However, my friends are able to call me out when they know I'm in meltdown mode and they will ignore me when I'm, I manic text for a couple of hours and then call me to check on me. Um, yes, I'm going to get to the question of the day. I know we're almost out of time, but I love these questions. So I think it's really important that when we look at how we get attention, Michael, um, that if you're texting someone and it's communication, right? But if you text someone something just to get attention, um, you will find that people stop giving you attention for it, right? Um, that I have a friend who uh, would pretend to be in crisis because he wanted my time. And so he would text me and say that he was in crisis and I would respond immediately, right? And so he was like, well, that's how I get Shannon's attention. But around the third time that he did this, I said, I, now I can't participate with you anymore because you know, you're, this is not a circumstance that I wanna be in. Um, this is not fair and equal and even. And so I'm no longer going to respond to your texts. I had to cut him off. And it's a, it's a dicey thing. I think keep those lines of communication um, that, you know, in a relationship, you want to be asking for what you need in the relationship and people will tell you what they need in the relationship too. And sometimes texting can be too much, right? Um, so it's a conversation to be had. Um, yeah. And Parker said, uh, self-harm is horrible. I understand it if it feels good, but you better get that checked out by a psych doctor. I agree. Uh, yeah. Not ashamed of the hand flapping. No one should be. EEG is the test. Thank you, Kirsten. What would I do without you? 
is there a connection with pica and sensory needs? There certainly can be. Pica is when you ingest things that are, are not meant to be ingested. And sometimes it is uh, an automatic reinforcer um, because people are eating things that, you know, um, are, it feels good to them to eat them. That's a very hard thing to understand, but the paycheck is on the inside. But sometimes it's medical. Sometimes people ingest things because they have an imbalance in their um, minerals. Like we will see kids on and off the spectrum eat dirt. And often that is a sign that they are low in chromium, which is a very interesting thing, right? And then, so it's very, and sometimes, I don't remember what the one is for paper, kids who ingest paper. And there's another one for hair. It's very important to talk to a medical doctor. If your child is engaged in pica, that is a serious condition. It is potentially a life-threatening. And so I want you to call whoever your pediatrician or physician is today and say, we want to have a conversation and have them do a blood panel to see if there's something wonky. Um, I definitely would be talking about it with a behaviorist team, but it's medical. Occupational therapist says he's seeking, sen seeking sensory. So he needs pressure on his hands and his arms, massage or squeezes. My son engages in stimming while on Zoom school and his teacher can see his body jerking up and down and his hands flying everywhere. Now he only keeps his head on Zoom so others cannot see him flapping his hands and his twitching fingers. How can we reduce uh, stereotypes, uh, aka stimming, if we can't see inside his brain? I do believe that sometimes he thinks and can focus while stimming. However, a lot of times he isn't thinking or focusing on the present topic being discussed. And uh, it's his lack of executive function and ADHD that's taking over him by uh, being able to stay focused for more than 30 minutes. Okay, there's a lot in there. Um, so, uh, and I, I am gonna do the question of the day in just a minute here, Trayvon. So let's, talk, let's first talk about ADHD and the ability to focus because I think it's a slightly different issue. First thing that I recommend is that people look at your child's diet, that for ADHD, the first thing that I would do for any family is to get as organic as you possibly can. They have absolutely shown that there is a direct correlation between the amount of pesticide in your child's urine on a daily basis and their ability to focus. A study started coming out in 2011. This is not new. And even the smallest amount of pesticide will show up in their urine and is directly correlated to how much ADHD behavior we get. So you want to get as organic as possible. Uh, it means, you know, I, I get now in COVID a box of produce every week from Imperfect Produce that's organic. I don't even have to go to the store anymore to get it. I encourage you to do something like that where you're getting it from local farmers that you can trust. When As we come out of COVID, you can go to farmer's markets and things such as that nature. More and more stores have organic and it's getting less and less expensive. Get as organic as you possibly can. You can go to EW.org, which stands for Environmental Working Group. I think it's EW, it might be EWG. I'm hopeless today, but it's Environmental Working Group. They have, or you can just Google uh, Dirty Dozen Clean 15. And every year they test fruits and vegetables. They give you a list of uh, 12 things that you should never allow your child to have unless they're organic. And they change uh, on a regular basis. So they do it yearly. And then there's the Clean 15 where it doesn't matter whether you get it organic or conventional, it's pretty much gonna be the same. 
I would start living by that and you will watch your child detox and you should see if your child, you should see it's easier for your child to focus after you've been like a month organic. Um, honestly, try it. The other thing I would look at is removing all artificial colors and flavors from your child child's diet. We have artificial colors and flavors in the United States that they don't allow anywhere else in the world because they're toxic. And they have been shown to cause ADHD-like behaviors in children and adults. So I would get rid of that. And then I would, would slowly taper the amount of sugar that your child has and go to sugar that is organic and even reduce that. Um, and see, first of all, that on Zoom, I don't know about everybody else, but I have to have sensory things here or I will lose my mind. Um, so I think having stuff off camera is perfectly acceptable for him. Um, and, and if the teacher is not in support of that, we need to check why. Because anything that will help them to focus, to learn what they have to learn is great. But we really can't expect little people to focus if they have all of that gunk in their system. The pesticides, the artificial colors, and a bunch of sugar. I, you know, I would just say to you, like, if go watch the movie Super Size Me to see the difference in Warren Spurlock over a 30-day time period from when he's eating healthy and what his mindset is as an adult, not on the spectrum, and what his mind and his health is after eating um, McDonald's for, you know, he does it for 30 days. Um, but, you know, see what happens to him after 10 days. Um, it, we talk about data being garbage in, garbage out. It's the same thing with our kids' bodies. And you probably have a really healthy diet for your child, but tighten up organic and the colors and the flavors and the, the sugar. Um, okay. All right. We have to get to the question of the day. We didn't get there. So let's do really quickly the question of the day. What makes you uncomfortable? What are you uncomfortable with? I was going to talk about this movie that I watched over the weekend, um, The Sound of Metal. I really encourage everybody to watch it. It's up for best picture. It's an incredible film, and I think it'll rock you back on your heels and make you look at things in a very different way. I'm still asking myself a lot of questions, and I watched it a couple of days ago. But I will tell you that I found it so uncomfortable to watch the first 10 minutes of the film, I thought I was going to die because I am so sound sensitive and it was making me crazy. And then there were periods of time in the film where I was okay and then I would be completely not okay, um, sensory sound wise, like, I mean, not okay. Um, and. And it was very interesting for me to sit with myself through this movie, um, to, to watch it and, and to think about what everybody else's experience. You might watch it and not have like, I almost had a sensory meltdown. Um, and I've not heard anybody else say that about this movie, but I had a really hard time. I wanted to watch it and it was worthwhile for me to watch it. So I stuck it out, but I had to go to bed afterwards. I was so exhausted um, because it was like holding on to a ledge. So that's, that's what makes me uncomfortable, but write in and tell me what makes you uncomfortable. Uh, and then we have a topic of the week and our topic, which we're really, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we've been talking about it this whole time is about making it fair. People have needs and we have to make sure that they get their needs met, but we also don't want to get people stuck in a place where that's all they can do. 
It has to be fair. Um, okay, uh, we're out of time here, but I'm reading all the comments uh, that people are writing in and I'm, I, I just am so sorry that um, Huma asks, can sensory issues recover? Um, you can, we can, it's like a muscle that if you, if it's an issue, you can work on sensory issues and become desensitized to them. Um, but we are always going to, all of us have a different level of sensory issue going on all the time. And, and it, we don't want to eliminate being sensory people. That is our ability to experience things, right? But we, we do need to be mindful that we all experience things in a different way. But if something is getting in the way of progress, yes, there's lots of different ways to work on it. But the first thing we have to know is um, what do we think? And it's harder for this one. What do we think the paycheck is? And, and because it's on the inside, it's harder to know. It takes more time. It takes more patience. Um, okay. So lots of things that have been written, written in here and I don't have time to get to all of them, but I so appreciate all of you, uh, writing in. This is a great topic. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow on the show. We have best of Temple Grandin Wednesday. We have Dr. Grant Pichet going to be here answering your questions. You can be writing those in to me right now. I, I usually take the first couple of questions from the live feature on autism-live.com in the chat. So feel free to write your questions in there if you want to get at the top of the show. Uh, on Thursday, gosh, I cannot remember who we're having on Thursday. Oh, I know exactly who we're having on on Thursday. This is very exciting. Uh, we're having Leah Hirschfeld is going to be with us on Thursday because she's going to give us a research update on Thursday, which is going to be really cool. So uh, I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. I'm sorry the hour flew by. Uh, oh my gosh, you guys are writing in about DRO, DRI, and DRA. Can I just tell you, check out our jargon but also head over to ibehavioraltraining.com if you want to know more about any of those things. And if you want to call the phone number over there for ibehavioraltraining.com, say that you would like this week's free training. So um, just say, Shannon sent me over, ibehavioraltraining.com, but you can call the phone number and tell them, I want to know more about this. Uh, okay, we are so out of time. Traven's getting hooked. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here and we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.